to the Power of Three podcast. Welcome back. With three lifelong Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise and even argue about a trio of products related to our favourite show. That might be televised adventures, classic and new. It could be spin-off novels, books about the show, biographies, magazines, anything that gives us the excuse to talk about Doctor Who. So, to introduce my co-conspirators, say hello Davey. Hello everyone, David here. Hello Kenny. Hello. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, that's all for this oh, time. Right, yeah. right, okay, <laughs> Nothing wittier smart this time that's around. Disappointing. Right, we, in the last episode we looked at Arrivals, you know, adventures uh, which featured the first appearance of a travelling companion. And this week we're looking at Departures. Oh. I know. So we'll start no, it's, off... It's quite poignant actually because Departures is the name of my friend's band, of, you know, a few friends in the band called Departures. And last night... Was their final Scottish show? They played at King Tut. They're having to retire because of, for health reasons. So departures is a, a very poignant and well, that's a, that, that's, that's that's that, Thanks for getting us up on such a yeah. <laughs> killed my mood. <laughs> it was a good show. Glad glad to hear it. Uh, <laughs> have you any funeral <laughs> anecdotes <laughs> to tell us? <laughs> Kenny, yes, talk to, actually. I bet you have. Kenny, well, talk to us about the first event we're going to discuss. Yeah, the first one we're going to discuss today is one you probably weren't expecting. It's The Myth Makers, which was the third serial of season three of Doctor Who. It was the final regular appearance of Maureen O'Brien as Vicky Pallister and saw the introduction of new companion Katerina, played by Adrian Hill. And of course, currently, all four episodes are missing from the BBC archive, according to our lovely friends at Tardis Wiki, and I bet Dave's got something to say. Type, 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 type. Yeah, I'm going to write, I'm in the process of writing a big, long, argumentative, noisy up thing for the, for our blog about Katerina's status. Yeah, the Mythmakers, when I was a little boy, I was kind of, you know, even before I was a Doctor Who fan, I was, I was kind of into Greek mythology. Same here. And all mm-hmm. that. You know, I remember um, going to see Clash of the Titans in the cinema, and watching Jason Argonauts on TV, reading, getting books out of the library, reading all that stuff. And when I got to secondary school, and it was a subject that we actually got taught, I was the last, I was one of the last, in Camp, you know, Camp, as it was, Camp Hill, before it became Gwynedd Camp Hill High School in Paisley. Um, I was, there was four of us in the final class that took classical studies as an O-grade. And it's the only O-grade I got a one for, so I was very, so there we go, so that was nice. So, so yeah, it was great getting to secondary yeah. school and actually learning that we could, we could study this stuff. The Temple of Sifjufay. <laughs> a trifle modest, is it not, for so powerful a god? This is my travelling temple. Being small, it's convenient. <laughs> you shall not enter. Certainly not. In any case, I must be off. Oh, then will you not stay with us? No, I... Uh, what? I... You will to the Grecian camp. If you indeed be Zeus, we have need of your assistance. Now, do not call their lives. Zeus is on our side, so Agamemnon keeps insisting. Bear him up and let us carry him in triumph to the camp. I am quite capable of walking. Odysseus, mm-hmm. I claim the honor to escort him. Let him walk to camp with me. You shall have honor enough. And maybe we shall have a little of the truth. Father Zeus, we await you. We crave the pleasure of your company at supper and perhaps a tale or two of Aphrodite. I refuse to enter into any kind of vulgar baldry. Then you shall tell us why 
We find you lurking near our lines. That should prove equally entertaining. Take him, lad. Are two of you there, take off this carrier. Have a care. Do not touch me. I, th I think it's fascinating, although in my school, classics was a bit of a joke, unfortunately, because um, everybody who... Because our teacher, Mr. Blair, had camp, quite a camp voice. So everybody in my school would say, Flavia et puella parva, Cornelia et puella magna. And uh, classics was just a joke, because that was something I really enjoyed too. You're learning about these fascinating characters, and there's just so many of them that you, you can always find their new ones. Alla enter ployon, hoi noites nomizontis, deton ariana. I don't speak Latin. That was Greek. <laughs> well, Ancient Greek. It's it's so Greek. It's all Greek to me, yeah. <laughs> so, I, so yes, I, I mean, I remember we had, a, we had a great poster up, and I was probably the only person in the class who could identify with the gods and stuff. So um, it's kind of, it's interesting that when, you know, Doctor Who did it, and I remember we did, when we did the old Greek, we did the Odyssey rather than the Iliad. There's a, there's a bit that always sort of sticks in my head. That's how, that's, I mean, that's how what I learned about stuff like, you know, similes and metaphors and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff, you know, tossed around like a ball of thistles. There's a line from the Odyssey <laughs> that's stuck in my head since 1986. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this, I think it's one of a, only a couple of occasions really that Doctor Who kind of touches on, on Greek mythology. And Tell us the story. It's, so well, it's well, basically, it, yeah, well, basically the um, TARDIS lands in the plains of Troy and the Doctor steps outside just as Achilles and, and Hector. It is Achilles and Hector, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, the Doctor steps outside just as Achilles and Hector are kind of um, having their little barney. Yeah. That actually reminds me of the time um, when, I, when I saw Troilus and Cressida at the Globe a few years ago. And during this sort of <laughs> during that sort of fight, I couldn't help myself and just shouted, Come on, Hector! <laughs> you shouted out. Yeah, I shouted out, Come on, Hector. Yeah. Of course I did. Remind me never to go and watch Shakespeare with you. It was Bobby, you have to be you know, you have to get involved. Is that right? Yeah, there's one of the times. There was another one of the times when I went to see Comedy of Errors. I think the second time I saw it, and there's a line. I can't remember the line. It's about basically it's a line about being bald, blah, blah or boldly, blah blah blah. One of the one of the Dromios has that line, and as he finished, he flourished and pointed at me, and I was just like, "Oh, thanks very much." Put my hat on, which got just as you know, put my cap on, which just got as big a laugh. So yeah, so yeah. I, I, I did. I did see much. I do about nothing once, but I can see what the fuss is about. Hey, <laughs> hey. See, that's that's one that stands on stands and falls on, on your two leads. But anyway, that's getting away from the. So yeah, so Troilus and Cressida is an interesting sort of thing, given that you know the way that play ends up, and you know Vicky sort of. So yeah, this is the story of Vicky going, and it's interesting because when you listen to it, um, the Doctor and Vicky they have this they have seen at the start, but they don't meet again for the duration of the story. They're separate for most of it, and we don't actually see. The doctor and Vicky saying goodbye. I remember the first time I listened to it when I was doing my marathon, and was sort of had the fear that they wouldn't be reunited in the last episode. But they haven't. They sort of they do meet up very hurriedly and go into the chef and have a conversation, and then you know, and then she goes. And it's um, it's a shame because I don't think you know it's it's sort of emerged recently. I know that Mister Purvis has talked about it recently, and because the latest DWM where he's talking about Donald Tosh and John Wiles and all that. Um, I don't think Maureen was in quite a hurry to go, but she basically came back from her summer holidays and was told that she was going. And as a story, it's it was it was a bit fluffier than I remembered it. Very much the the weekly serial at that point, you know, when when they just they don't really have to advance the plot terribly much. It's just there to kind of fill the time. And but it's a good it's a good story for Mister Purvis. He gets some stuff to do. Billy gets some good lines. It's a good it's a good laugh. And and um. Yeah, it's Doctor Who doing the Trojan War. It's one of those things, if they hadn't done it in the, the original series, I can imagine them doing it in the new series and just spending yeah. a bomb on it and it being phenomenal. If I could wave a magic wand and bring back the missing tapes of any one adventure that's missing, it would be the Rhythmic. Really? really interesting. It's my favourite 
uh, William Hartnell mm-hmm. episode. Cool. I just love it. I think the script is just fantastic. The, all the performances, I just love it. And every time I hear it, I just think, oh, I wish I could watch this. Mm-hmm. Just love it. Partly it's because, like you, I've got a love of Greek mythology and uh, and that's interesting. But I just think it's one of the best written mm-hmm. of all the old episodes. Donald Cotton, very underrated. Because mm-hmm. you watch, even like the gunfighters, there's so much humour in it. The gunfighters is brilliant. It's absolutely. It's absolutely brimming. With great lines, mm. great gags, and I'm sure there's so much you know that we can't see. I'm sure there'll be a lot of visual humour in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. just, yeah, exactly. There'll be reactions, and there'll be yeah, because yeah. 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 King yeah. Priam's fantastic. Yeah. He's, he's such a Max Adrian, um, perfect comic timing to it, and you can just there's such a really, really good feel to it, and you just think this is one that I would, yeah, I would kill to watch. Yeah. But but it is very sad because I I, I loved. Maureen as well, she's, Vicky, she's great, I, yeah. I think she's my favourite companion of that era and I, I, I still think the BBC had a terrible record of treating people badly mm. uh, in those days. Mm. And uh, Changing production teams and then if you're not their, your person then you're out, pretty yeah. much. It's, it's interesting because I think, perhaps controversially, I think that Bill Hartnell performs better opposite Maureen O'Brien than he does opposite Caroline Ford. Mm-hmm. I think they're both better at selling that adoptive relationship rather than whatever the Doctor and Susan's real relationship is. I think um It was a fa- it was grandfather and granddaughter, yeah. that was the relationship yeah. they were related. She was yeah. the oh, daughter of one of his children. Oh but 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 is that the case? Mm. Yes it is. I'm always one of these people like <laughs> like to speculate about who no, Susan no. really is. Are you going to say she is the Lady Lauren I don't know. In the 20th Man, I mean, she's she's his granddaughter. Yeah, I know. But and, she, and, <laughs> and and he and he oh, is he, her grandfather. As opposed to being her grandmother. That's yes, right. he's her he's her grandfather. Sorry mate, you had to leave me to that one. Yeah, I apologise. Sure Took me long enough. <laughs> you know, I've, I've said I've said as much in the past that Bill Hartnell gets you know, gets a a bad time work from a lot of people. He just people just yep. consider him as, as the, the guy that made all the fluffs and all yep. that. But if you watch any of these scenes with Maureen O'Brien, it's golden. There's real warmth between them. Yeah. You know, they they're they're both really they're both really capable. And so I mean it's it's just the myth makers what three episodes of Galaxy Four and the two episodes of the Crew. I mean we're lucky they've got so much of it. Mm-hmm. What uh, is the novelization like? It's very, very different. It's written. Who's, who's it by? It's, it's by Donald Cotton. Yeah, he novelised it himself, and it's in. It's written in the first person. The I death. We, I don't think I it read it. changes the plot slightly because we get. It's all seen from the point of view of the Cyclops. Obviously, the the character, not uh, the mythical creature, and mm. um, the slave who, and he goes around scouting between the two camps. Yeah. So obviously he gets, but he's killed off in TV. He's death by a spy, isn't he? he is. So is this too. the only uh, novelisation written in the first person apart from the Daleks? No, no there's uh, Donald Cotton did, uh, I think he he also did the, the Romans. Romans. The Romans is kind of different because it's, it's sort of letters and memos and yeah. stuff, isn't it? And he did the gunfighters as well, but I'm sure there's I'm sure there's another one that's in the first person. But there's, it is very, very good. A lot of the, a lot of the you know, that 1985, 86, 87 novels come out during my sort of Wilderness, mm-hmm. one of my wilderness periods. There's quite a few of them I haven't read, mm-hmm. so I don't think I've read the Gunfighters. I know you should be reading tonight, Dave. Do you, do you have the Mythmakers, by the way? Do you have that? No. Because I've read, you can have that because I've got three copies. Oh, great, thank you. <laughs> I'll leave that with you. There we go. Sorry, See, cool. this is Dave's deal for you people. Those of you who don't know him, he may come across as a cheeky monkey sometimes in his podcast, but he genuinely is a man with a heart to go. Heart to go. Two of them. And teeth to match. God bless you, Ken. <laughs> no, I, You're not I, so bad yourself. Oh, cheers. Um, no, Mythmakers, I think, is is just such a great story. And it's just so much, just so much in it. And one of the great things is that the horse still survives that mm. appeared in the story. So when you oh, see right. the pictures of it, 
uh, online if you Google Doctor Who Mythmakers that is the original horse I think some fan got their hands on it it looks like it's I mean a lot it's been photographed a lot since then when you said the original horse survived I thought all these thousands of years (laughs) (laughs) the original horse that appeared in the BBC television production of Doctor Who the Mythmakers 1965 has it been used in any other drama no because there have been various dramas of Troy Now this one was made for Doctor Who and the fans. Did you ever see the film that Brad Pitt was in? Yes. So they basically ignore the ten years aspect. Yes. Which really frustrated me at the time. I remember sitting. I can see why. I think there have been other um, Hollywood versions of it where I think the ten year thing was, you know, compressed down. One thing I think we should mention briefly um, is is Katharina. Yes. Because great companion. Because it's my part of my part of my reasoning and argument that she doesn't count. Is that she's you know and this 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 story although it's the first story that Katharina appears in, it's not an introductory story for her as the companion. We talked about you know our last episode we talked about companion introductory stories and we talked about how um Evelyn Smythe was the focus of the Marian conspiracy and Leela was was all about in the face of evil. But it's this one it just sort of I think proves my sort of my theory that Katharina is just a supporting character in the broader narrative. The story does not revolve around her. She doesn't really get a full introduction scene. And, you know, I we're not even sure if she's visible in the first three episodes. She just she turns does. up in episode four to help Purvis at the TARDIS. So, aye, interesting. I'm going to, yeah, as I say... I'm, I would question your criteria there, actually. That's fine. I I'll, 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 I'll type it all up. I'll finish typing it all up and then and send you over Thank by, goodness by Do- snail mail. Thank goodness can... Doctor Who fans aren't obsessive about this. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll take it all up and send it over and you can, you can hack it to bits or, yeah. or choose to flush it down the lavatory. <laughs> okay. Yes, all in all, I would love to watch The Myth Makers. Yes, I think we all would. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's the second adventure we're looking at, Davy? We are looking now at The Hand of Fear. Look of Fear. What a strange line. The Hand of Fear was the second serial of season 14 of Doctor Who. Significantly, it was the final regular appearance of Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith, though she would return to the role in a semi-regular capacity in School Reunion in 2006 and the main cast member of the Sarah Jane Adventures in 2007. The Hand of Fear was originally intended for the 1976 six-part slot that was taken by the Seeds of Doom. It was inspired by the 1946 film The Beast with Five Fingers, not the Kenny Smith life story. <laughs> there were several versions of the script. One saw the hand as an advance guard preparing the way for an alien army. Another fixed upon two Omegans representing the hawk and dove working against humanity. There were plans for the Brigadier and Harry Sullivan to appear, with the former much like in early drafts of Pyramids of Mars, bowing out from unit in a... What? Bowing out from who in a blaze of glory? Was Harry supposed to, to die in the original draft of Pyramids of Mars? That's news to me, folks. However... Script editor Robert Holmes took issue with its complexity and commissioned another script to be the final story of season 13 should this remain unresolved. Finally, in October 1975, The Hand of Fear was officially delayed and The Seeds of Doom was produced in its place. After Elizabeth Sladen told the production team she wanted to leave early in the next season, Douglas Camfield was commissioned to write The Lost Legion, which would see Sarah killed at its conclusion. However, Holmes was unhappy with the script and the return of fate decided The Hand of Fear might have to be used as a replacement. With unit and degenerating humans removed from the plot, Bob Baker and Dave Martin produced a more linear story. Canfield fell behind in his own script and was discounted. Baker and Martin left the writing of Sarah's farewell scene to Holmes. Um, I believe that Tom and Liz wrote it themselves, didn't they? That's correct, yeah. Director Lenny Main made his final contribution to Doctor Who with the Hand of Fear. After finishing production on the serial and an episode of Softly Softly Task Force, he was drowned after a wave swept him overboard in the English Channel. 
David, you've got all of the the cheerful bits of in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else die in this one? I don't think so. Um, permission to film at Old Bray Nuclear Power Station was obtained before the script was completed, so central was it to the story. Bob Baker found the staff very accommodating on his initial visit. Such was their enthusiasm for the project. The radiation provided health and safety concerns, with Geiger counter checks being performed on the cast and crew. Wow. And radiological clearance certificates having to be issued before any object could leave the premises. That's interesting. That was excellent. Wow. Which would be quite funny, right? See if, you know, if you sped it up, because it was so long, you know, maybe had me speaking as if, you know, you know, um, treble speed. Once again, um, I uh, came across this fairly recently in my marathon plow yeah. through of the classic series. I was dreading getting to this because I really, even today, I still feel so sad that Sarah Jane left. I, I met Leslie in that thing once and, and told her that she broke my heart when she left the TARDIS and she was <laughs> lovely about it. I, I always contrast my memories of this when it was first broadcast, of, of any adventure when it was first broadcast with my view on it now that I've seen it. Uh, uh, you know, forty years later, and I I remember thinking the hand of fear was actually pretty good, and uh, pretty captivating, and I, it still is actually. I I still, especially when Eldrad is in his, his female form, uh, I think the the woman who plays that is is just is tremendous. She's Paris. 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 Inter- That's interesting right. how they set up that um species can. Can change gender. <laughs> Can't take yeah. Cut that out. I'm just trying to bag me up. <laughs> yeah, but Eldred is a bloke who, for some reason, turned out a woman. And then back into a bloke. Anyway. Back into a bloke. And it's Stephen Thorne, isn't it? Is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, he's nowhere near as good as, as Judith, is he? I don't think. It's no, he's not. It's a completely different character. You know, yeah, when, by the time he turns into the, 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 the male shouty man, he, he's just a... Oh, there's another Doctor Who monster of the week. Mm-hmm. And you know that because it's played by Stephen Thorne. With a lovely hairdress. <laughs> With a lovely hairdress. The, 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 the costumes are brilliant. You know, the crystalline structure is, is terrific. You know what? I mean, they must have taken forever to get Judith into that leotard or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Just, um, they are excellent. But know. no, I, I loved it. I love the fact, I mean, it wasn't the first time that Sarah Jane had been taken over by... We should, we should do the plot. We should explain what this is all about. Yeah. Yes. So, so the oh, what is brilliant is that the doctor uh, materializes actually in a quarry that's supposed <laughs> to be a quarry for the first yeah, time, yeah. which is brilliant. Um, and the explosion that, that then mm. that occurs mm. is just tremendous. I thought it was library footage, but apparently no, it's it was a camera. Yeah, yeah, it was such a good explosion. It was a remarkable explosion, and and Sarah is buried beneath the hundreds of tons of rubble and emerges unscathed, obviously, mm-hmm. clutching. Uh, a fossilised hand, which is a leftover from a, a, a spacecraft explosion hundreds of thousands of years earlier. Uh, and then it takes her over. And the scene where the, the hand comes to life at the cliffhanger at the end of episode one is just fantastic. It's flawless, isn't it? It's really, really good. Yeah. I remember when they, Simple but effective. When they used that in the, the little TV50 compilation of Doctor Who clips, mm. you know, when, back in 1986. It's, it's brilliant. And there's a very interesting character. Uh, the, the scene then goes to this uh, nuclear station, well, partly in a hostel, partly in a nuclear power station. And the, the, the man in charge of the nuclear power station is a very well-rounded character for somebody who's only in for, like, two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, 
he makes a when they think the whole reactor's going into meltdown he phones his family to tell them he loves them and from that moment you think oh god we don't want this guy to die mm-hmm. and he almost does until you know Eldrad is forced to revive him by the doctor and it is it's a really clever affectionate really three-dimensional character which you don't find he's, he's not a central character at all in the whole plot but they've spent a lot of time on him and yeah. I, I think that's, that's it's a, a very Russell T. Davis touch isn't it yeah, to, to do something like that it's further indicative again what was when we were talking about Face of Evil when I said about the Hinchcliffe and Holmes you know it's they're treating it realistically maybe not realistically but seriously and yeah. as, as a believable adult Drama. And Doctor Who always works when the cast and the writers are taking it seriously. It's mm. only when it was when it descends into camp mm. that people get turned off. Hello, Susie. Uh, hello, darling. Uh, is Mummy there? Oh, did you? Well, your headmistress must have been very pleased. Oh no, super, super. But, but get Mummy for me. Hello, love. Uh, well, it's just to let you know I've, uh, I've got to stay on at the complex for a while. Yes, it looks like it. No, no, there isn't anything wrong. It's just that, uh, well, I thought I'd let you know where I was. Which I think is one of the problems. It's just actually, a balance, isn't it? I think it's one of the problems under Sylvester McCoy to come back to having a go at Sylvester is that, and it wasn't necessarily his fault, but I don't think the production team treated it seriously by the end of the last series. I think they were they were just treating it as an opportunity to be camp and, and to be funny and and kind of look askance at it rather than taking it seriously. And I think when they took it seriously, that's why John Pertwee is is for me the best because the. It was a hundred percent scary. It was a hundred percent Quatermass. I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think you know, there's it's it's been quite popular for a long time to to enjoy and talk about the funny bits in the later Tom Baker stories when Douglas Adams is there. But you know, you look at stuff like Hans and Nemo and Creature from the Pit, and there's some good. There's some excellent stuff going on, but you can tell that not everyone's taking it seriously. Yeah. And Graham Crowe in anyone? And My it, dreams have come yeah. west. That's the best Alan McWan impression I've ever heard. Love Graham Crowden. Um, but it's yeah, it's 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 walking that fine line, and I think Hand of Fear it it, it walks a brilliant line. It doesn't descend into mawkish, string laden sentiment, you know, sentimentality at the end when, when Lizzie does go. Um, there's Doc, the character of I keep wanting to call him Doctor Tyler because that's how he played in the Three Doctors. Yes, Rick Robinson. If it been um, if it been the same character, that would have been amazing. Um, you know, when he when he dies, you're like, oh God, you know, he's not been in it for long, but he's sympathetic, and you know, he's on he's on side with the Doctor, even the guy. That walk is it? Oh, I want to say it's not Lennox, is it? The guy that walks into the nuclear reactor, can't remember what his character's called. But the guy who plays him, he turned mm. up in something else at the time in the seventies. I remember recognizing him, but I can't remember where from. It's, you know, it takes it seriously, and because the the program makers are taking it seriously, the audience takes it seriously. So the Doctor and Sarah take Eldrad. It's when we first learn, isn't it, about the state of grace inside the TARDIS. Yes. yes, that's, that's it is quite an important. A, a load of old nonsense. Well, yeah. It's there when you need it. It's yes. Yeah. Same with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Either works or it doesn't. And yeah. they go back to Eldred's home planet, uh, where he wants to rule, and of course, everyone's been dead millions of years. Yeah. And, and isn't the model work great? The model work is fantastic. And he's a bit yeah. upset. He's a bit annoyed that everyone's dead. You uh, know that the last episode reminds me reminded me of um. Put in mind the. 
last episode, Death to Daleks and Part of Pyramid of Mars. Yes, sort of, absolutely. Know, they've obs- they're going a little journey through a building with well, some obstacles. They had the same thing in, in Death to the Daleks. They had a figure sitting in front of a computer yeah. screen that yeah. when eventually uh-huh. they turned Goes the chair around, turned to dust. Exactly yeah. the same as in Hand of Fear. Yeah. But if it's, a, if it's a good meme, you might as well reuse it. Is there, is there another story, can you help me with this? Because I'm trying to think, is there another story when someone gets taken back to somewhere with a bean, but everyone, they find out everyone's dead and you know, the king of king of nothing. Kevin. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm sure. Is there another thing that does? It's that a does very that? familiar science fiction trope, isn't yeah. it? But I can't remember. I'm trying to think as well. Hmm. Let us know this. But I, I think it's I think it's it's so well done. The well directed. The model shots are good. The cast are good. Um, and it's and it's a real feeling. But you know, there's that the, the, that final scene is comes out of nowhere. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, before, before we get to the final scene, let's yeah. let's finish Eldred off because has Eldred ever appeared in any big finish? Yes. Yeah. Is is that because when the when when the doctor tripped him up and he fell down into the chasm, he threw the ring after him? No, <laughs> because they find another hand. Oh, for crying out! Oh, loud. I, no, it's a brilliant story. It's a, it's excellent. A die. They find his other hand. It's it's phenomenal. It's, oh, it's a main okay. range story with the fifth doctor, Tegan Turlow Nissa. I must it, have a listen to it. It's that. excellent. Mm-hmm. If we do another, if we do another sort of sequels episode, that we want to cover. It's brilliant. Right. Okay, it's so a big finish sequels, perhaps. Yeah. So so they they use the scarf, which in this series is actually used quite frequently. Yes, uh, it comes into its own a wee bit in this series, <laughs> and uh, Eldrad falls down a pit. Um, why does the Doctor throw his ring of power after him? I mean... Well, maybe it's just... Sort of it's, like ki- it's like killing Sauron and then throwing the ring at him. Maybe it stops someone else picking it up and getting possessed. Possibly. He's, I mean, he's assuming that Eldrad's going to be... Smashed to smithereens. when he falls all the way down there, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. The guy survived a, an explosion in his spacecraft and yeah. millions of years buried under yeah. a rock in, in Britain. Yeah. I think he's going to survive a, a drop. Yeah. Anyway. But <laughs> then we get back into the TARDIS. It's the, yeah. it's the wooden... Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It's the wooden uh, control room. And we hear the cloister bell. Do we no, hear the no bell? it's not the cloister bell. It doesn't appear until the Gopolis. Right. We just get a warning, sig- a, a That's messaging. Right. That's right. It's like a text alert yeah. in time and space. <laughs> and, uh, and we hear about this new rule, which lasts almost a year, yeah. where you can't take a human to Gallifrey. Yeah. Mm. What a pity that Sarah Jane happened to be a... a, a uh, companion just before they raised that they, they, they abolished that rule <laughs> yeah um, I know it's, it's a it's a bit of it's a bit rubbish isn't it it's just the way she's can't take it and they're still pronouncing it Gallifrey yeah <laughs> maybe um, at one point they pronounced it Gallifrey yes yeah. indeed it's, no, at least it's, it wasn't Galilee it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because they, they flag it was probably deliberate I mean it was early on when they asked for the doctors to qualify and he says Gallifrey isn't that in mm-hmm. Ireland you know, so yeah. it's a, a reminder before they, they take him back in episode four. That's interesting. I it kind of um it's brutal, isn't it? It is. Um and, and also it's extra poignant because you knew there was such an affection between the mm-hmm. two characters you know, yeah. in real life. Mm-hmm. I think being scousers there was that instant bond that they had. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, people have different views of how this happened. I mean I read one interview where Liz Sladen was saying that she had heard that she was about to be let go and therefore she decided to resign before she was sacked. But Philip Hinchcliffe denies this and says that he never, he wanted her to stay on. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I think even in her, in, her, in, her, um, in her autobiography, she talks about having this feeling that, but you know, 
they kept it for two and a half full series after you know Hinchcliffe took over. I mean, it's, it's I think it's kind of obvious that you know mm-hmm. they appreciated what she was doing. And she and, and let's face it, and it's all been said before, but she was phenomenal. Why? Oh, I mean, she she became the definitive Absolutely. companion. Absolutely, she was just brilliant, and, um, funny, and brilliant acting. Her acting in Mask of Mandragora is just phenomenal. There's one scene where uh, there's a, a you know the BBC are trying to do a medieval ball mm. on a budget yes. so there's like six mm. three couples dancing and she's dancing with one of them and instead of getting you know instead of just dancing the same way everyone else she clearly doesn't know how to dance this particular dance and they film it because that's exactly how it would be you know, a, yeah. a woman from 1980 yeah. trying to dance in, in yeah. Renaissance Italy yeah. and, and it looks wonderful it looks so authentic and that's what she was all the way through her Absolutely, she's career. brilliant, Lizzie. I mean, she's, she's, you know, she is so consistent. And um, as, you, as you said already, it's, it's very telling that, that she was the one that they brought back in the new series. It wouldn't have worked anywhere near as well with anyone else. No, that's right. Tom, can I just interrupt Actually, you? Actually, Ken, can I just interrupt you? <laughs> of course you can. Very good. Which Doctor Who story is the favourite of Take That featuring Ruler? <laughs> I don't know. It's We Like My Planet of Fire. I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Planet of Fire was the fifth serial in season 21 of Doctor Who. In addition to being the penultimate adventure to regularly feature Peter Davison as the fifth Doctor, the story featured the final regular appearance of Mark Strickson as Vizsler Turlow, the destruction of Chameleon and the introduction of Perry Brown. It was Peter Grimwade's final script and Fiona Cummings' last directorial turn for the programme. For Turlow's last story, it was decided that his mysterious past, outlined in modern undead, should be explored. Exteriors were shot on location in Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. The location was chosen after Cummings promoted it with photos from her holiday. Grimwade decided to use the island for multiple settings and the island's volcanic landscape also doubled for the planet Sarn. Grimwade had trouble writing for the setting, having never been there. John Nathan Turner denied his request to accompany the select members of the crew to the <laughs> island. Plant of Fire also had a notable guest cast. Peter Wingard had starred as flamboyant amateur detective Jason King in Department S and Jason King, while Barbara Shelley had appeared in various Hammer horror films. Since my father's time, unbelievers have been sent to the flames. That was barbaric. Yes, a little overzealous, perhaps. In those days, people didn't tolerate dissenters as they do now. The unbelievers are harmless. Yes, but it's still a wise precaution to send the occasional freethinker to the flames. Encourages faith in our traditions. I could never order a burning. But the time comes. You will be given the strength. It can be a rewarding experience for those consumed in the flames, unbelievers as such. Such unhappy souls. Is it not sometimes good to doubt Timonov? Malcolm, for our people to survive, we must have faith. And never more so than at this moment. Logar is testing us. We must not seem to be wanting. More recently, Peter Wingard had appeared in Flash Gordon. Uh, or was that just. Oh, no, that yeah, was before, yeah. Just, just yeah. 
Starbucks jelly is completely wasted on it, isn't it? She has so much as she had to drink. It's one of the way. It's one of the things that just really annoys me about this story. Yeah, just, you get someone at Barbara Shelley and, and totally she, wasted. And we, Absolutely, just give her nothing to do. Yeah. Anyway, for, this is for me is the it's the oh, virtually the the ultimate classic series checklist story. You've got what do you need to do? Okay, we've got a location. Let's do some foreign shooting. Tick. Okay, let's go to Lanzarote because Fiona Cummings been there and it looks really nice. Tick. We've got to introduce a new companion. Tick. We've got to leave another <laughs> companion out. Tick. We need to resolve what's going on with Chameleon. Tick. We need to bring back the master for his appearance of the season. Tick. What a load of checklisting nonsense. When you've got so many restrictions and limitations imposed upon a writer, Peter Grimwade was never going to get very much achieved with this one. It's pretty much a a lame brain plot. The master shrunk himself. In fact, we'll just sum it up. The doctor arrives in Lanzarote with Turlo and they... And they don't like each other. That's clear the, from the, the very beginning. There's not a lot going on there between them. There's not much bants, um, if bants had been a term at the time. And obviously they witness, uh, go for a drink, there's something going on. Oh, Perry's drowning, Doctor goes to save her, there's alien artefacts. Turlo goes to save her. Sorry, I apologise. Um, Turlo goes to save the drowning Perry, they um, it's a little they, bit of a mess, isn't it? Is, isn't it? It's, it's just yeah. I think mishmash. Thing, I think that one of the things that really bugged me this time was like the sort of play about <laughs> Perry's horrendously scary, over the top, half naked stepfather and his mates finding finding this thing under the water. The golden dildo. Yes. Yes. Spit on my tea, right? Yeah, lol. That's what it is. Yeah, really? that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's and it's a look in Perry's face when she picks up. Oh no! But it's true. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, the, the whole sexual politics of this is bizarre, right? Yeah. Now, first of all, you're not quite sh- clear if this is her foster father because I thought it was a boyfriend at first because two people with that bad an American accent must be going out together. Mm. But it turns out it's a foster father and she says to him, right, it's her stepdad. Oh, yeah, yeah. I met a couple of boys. Never seen them before in my life, but I'm going to Morocco with them. And his first concern was, but what about your reading schedule? Yes. <laughs> Quite keyed up, isn't I mean, Yeah. So yeah, the golden dildo, if that's what we're calling it. Yeah. It's never explained how... Is it? It's no, never explained it's how it ends not. up in Earth and why... No, that's right. It doesn't explain what it's for. Or yeah. What we know what it's for. You know, but it's, I mean, it's there because... You know, I remember when it was shown, and you know, Turlo rolls up his sleeve to show us that he's got the, the golden dildo mark on his arm. Or the measles triangle, yes. some people like to call it. And Whatever. I, and I remember my mum saying, ah, he always was one of, he always was a baddie, wasn't he? <laughs> Mama Steele was engaged at that point with it, you know, what was going on. It's inter- it's it's just it's so messy. I mean I um I watched both versions in, in preparation. I watched the special edition on the DVD because I hadn't watched it all before, and I watched the regular broadcast version. And it was interesting because the special edition does something which the TV version doesn't really do. It makes an effort to show Sarn and Lanzarote as different locations. Because they look the exact same. You have, you have the scene where um, Peter Wingard and What's-His-Face you know, walk away from the telescope. Malcon. Yeah, and they look out over... And they, and they basically just look it's like they're looking out on Lanzarote. And oh. they then cuts to, you know... And you're watching thinking, well, are the Doctor and Perry and everyone else just down the hill? Is all this just at the top of the, the hill in this volcano? Yeah. It's... But at least on the, the special edition, they put a nice red tint over the sound stuff to make it look right. like an alien planet. 
you know, um, it's it's just it is it's just it's just so messy. It, it is a bit of a mess. I mean, there are a couple of good things about it. I mean, I actually really um, liked the the cliffhanger at the end of season three, where the, the master is revealed to be a wee toty guy in a yeah, shoebox. Yes. Yeah, I mean, aye, that's that. And was I, like, I, ooh, I, yeah. I didn't expect that when I first saw it, and I and I was a bit surprised. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I remembered as she was pulling the box out and looking and lifting the lid. I thought, "Ah, right, I remember this now." Yeah. But it's a really nice twist. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. But yeah. but once again, Anthony Ainley is just shocking as the master. It's just rubbish. I'm sorry. He <laughs> hams it up, and, and you can't help. I suppose it depends what age you are, because at that time I could still vividly remember um, Roger Delgado, and you know. You can explain it away by the narrative. You could say that the master has gone through so much; he's now become just a total psychopath. But that misses the point of what the master's supposed to be. And they brought they brought that uh, that kind of charm element back with John Sim, mm-hmm. and this kind of relationship that the doctor and the master yes. have, which is totally missing from the Peter Davison and Ainley relationship. Um, basically, Anti Ainley is a space Nazi who wants to kill everybody. Yeah. And that's not what the Master was originally. The Master was manipulative, he was devious, but he was charming. He always had a, a plan. You know, the reason Turnsticks and the producer... Barry Letts. Yeah. You know, they, they wanted to finish off John Pertley's tenure with a story involving the Master where the Master sacrifices his own life to save the Doctor. That was the arc that they wanted yes. for the Master. Yes. Now, you, you, that... Now seems like a million years ago when you look at Anthony Ainley. You, you never imagine someone looking at that character and thinking, yeah, let's write a story where he finds his, his old affection for his friend and sacrifices himself. I mean, it's just, too, he's, a, he's not the master. He's a totally different character. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I mean, because Kenny and I obviously have that, you know, next generation of viewers that just, he's our master, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we accept him, love him because that's... He laughs that's, all the, why does he laugh so much? Because he's mental. <laughs> yeah, good, good laughing villains laugh at something a joke that they've made. Yeah. He just laughs at the just end of every <laughs> sentence. <laughs> there's a there's a bit of it that, that struck me. There's a great bit of dialogue in it written, obviously, for, especially for Doctor Who fans. When Turlow says to to Dave, he says, "Do you think he's undergoing another regeneration crisis?" And the Doctor says, "No." I think this this body must be good for a little while yet. And I was like, oh, clink, type, type, E. Levine, please, yeah. type, type. There's some cracking <laughs> Eric Sable sort of dialogue. You know, throughout and stuff. It's as Kenny says, it's a checklist and it's got no chance. But there is again, you know, Mark Strixon is excellent. Yes. He's very good and it's it's a shame he didn't stay. You know, even though the story is built around writing him out, it's a shame he didn't stay because I think he would have been, you know, I could imagine him and Colin doing really, really, really well together. You know, they're similarly spiky and they kind of and you know, Nicola's character would have been in the middle and you know, it's a shame that Mark, I think as a character, Turlow is one of the most wasted, and I don't mean that as in, you know, sort of, as Davison always calls it, Turlow's locked up in a cell, I mean, it happens in The King's Demons, it happens in The Awakening, it happens, uh, you know, in, you know, does it, he's, he, in, um, thingy, in front of us, he gets, he gets his brilliant, you know, tractators, you know, acting to do, and that's about it, you know, he gets a teeny bit of, you know, he's, there was so much potential with Turlough. BF, again, he's another one that BF have done a bit, you know, a bit more by. Yeah, I think what you're saying there about Mark Strickson, when he's finally getting something to do it, he's great. He's there's There's a, he's an awful lot of dry wit and humour there, um, which is very, very like Mark Strickson. He's got such you know, such a good ironic line, and there's, you just think, you know, he's finally given something to do, and that's him gone. There's, there's so many scenes when Turlough is a line, and Mark's expression just adds turns to it and you know he, he, he's a nice sort of sarcasm which kind of complements the fifth doctor's 
dry sarcasm which pops through occasionally. Did he not disappear to Australia? Uh, oh, became right. a documentary producer and yeah. discovered Steve Irwin. Right, gosh. Yeah. He still does that now. He's got an office well, in Edinburgh. Uh, one of our favourite Christmas films is Christmas Carol with George C. Scott, and of course he plays the young Scrooge. Oh, right, yeah, um, of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course, we also get an, an arrival in this episode, which kind of ties in with last episode with the Perry arrival Gilliam. of good old Perry. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's great from the start. I was, I, I was um, straight away taken with her, and not just for the obvious reasons. Um, I mean, she's absolutely beautiful, but she's, she's, such a, she's an interesting character from the word go. I'm glad her accent settles, because in the first few scenes, it's a bit ropey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to be fair to her, I, for years, I didn't know she was English. So yes, absolutely. So it must have, doing it must Saturday have Superstore with the, yeah, with the American was, accent was, breakfast yeah, time. That's the thing, it's Emers, isn't it? She was told that she had to do the, she had to basically pretend she was American. Uh, and, and, and Mr. Nathan that. Turner's orders. I mean, for, all, for all we say about Jinty's, you know, many faults, he was he was very good at casting companion actors. You know, most of the time, people like Janet Field, Mark Strickland, Mark Strickland, Nicola Bryant, Sophie Aldred. Yeah, she's definitely one of my one of my favourite companions of the eighties. Definitely. So um, yeah, a bit of a messy story and a bit of I don't things I don't think it could have gone any other way. Mm-hmm. We're up against it from the word go, unfortunately. Yeah. And and a very brutal end to Chameleon. Oh, I, yeah, I mean, I thought that the doctor... I mean, this is a sentient yeah. robot. It's yeah. not just a, yeah. a, a, an automaton. It's I mean, a sentient robot. Yeah. And the, the doctor kills him Yeah, and with the doctor a gun. has all those lines about, you know, spare parts and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, it, the doctor doesn't rate or regard his sentience at all. No. I mean, maybe if we, put, if when we do the King's Demons, we could probably talk a bit more about Chameleon, but I think that was a great wasted opportunity. I remember all the way through season 21 back in the day thinking, right, where's Chameleon? I'm mm. wondering why he wasn't in the five doctors. Just wondering why, you know... You know, they say that the the software, the guy that programmed the software, died, and all that, and had an impact. And I just thought, well, just why don't you just have the robot turn into a different person? Yeah, yeah. you could just have it standing. You know, ah, Doctor, I'm going to look like you know, the Brigadier. You know, John Perry, because I come back for a story. You know that sort of thing. He, of course, he would have done it. <laughs> you know, it was it's it's. I I remember thinking that at the time, Chameleon was terrific, and it's watching this one again because yeah, Big Finish have just done three chameleon stories have, yep. which is quite interesting and um, I don't remember the Doctor being so disregarding of him in those as he was no. in this no he's very dismissive it's almost the case of oh, it's like you're using up the TARDIS battery we'll he, just, he uh, just get rid of it a broken toaster and basically. when Chameleon comes back in Big Finish is it with Peter Davison yes yes oh, there's right. uh, basically and three stories set between Mark. the King's Demons and right. the Warriors of the Deep okay. yeah but you know, the one thing we haven't talked about, never mind Jamila, never mind about Anthony Lee, it's, it's the greatest legacy of Planet of Fire. Um, it's Kenny Smith's favourite holiday destination. That's absolutely true. Because uh, you find uh, Timonoff's house is um, in, it's a place called Mirador del Rio, I believe it is, which right. was designed by the architect Cesar Manrique, and it overlooks the island of La Gomera, which you sort of briefly see uh, in some of the scenes here. But uh, we went on holiday there for the first time with uh, Katie was my daughter was uh, very young and we just we went to this place we walked into the room and I actually hadn't realized this is where they shot Planet of Fire and I just I just looked around and thought oh my god I'm in Timonov's house yeah, well, that, and it's that, that weird ceiling that decoration. weird ceiling the, right. the light thing and it's it's incredible it still looks exactly the same and you can go out there there's like the plastic wall it's incredible was that where you were a couple of years ago when I was giving you a row for not wearing sunblock uh, n- 
yeah. said anyway, I was in a Twitter or a Facebook conversation and you were looking a bit burnt and I said, I hope you're wearing sunblock. And he says, right, get this right. He says, oh, it's not that warm. And I said, I don't care how warm it is. You're a colour of a bloody lobster. Get some sunblock. Yeah, that, that was there February last year. Paul, are you going to give us some of the photographs? I will give you some of the photographs so you oh, can good. compare and you can look at uh, Tim and Orf's house and how it looks today. Okay, well, that's food for thought. We're going to wind it up here and we'll be back again at some point very soon. So from me, Tom, goodbye. For me, David, take care, goodbye. And for me, Kenny, Daddy wouldn't buy me a bow-wow.